Well, welcome to 2023 at Porch Light Baptist Church. Glad to have those that's able to come out, those watching online. And we had some good singing here a while ago. I always enjoy that. Um, we've had a great, uh, great time off. I've been off on vacation for about a week and a half, and it's been nice. But uh, it's uh, good to be here today, this first Sunday of 2023. And like I always do, I always introduce a theme for the church uh, every year, and this year is no different. This year our theme is, but we see Jesus. And that's where we're going to be taking our text from this morning, out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 9, Lord willing, this morning on this message I've titled, But We See Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll go ahead and read verses 5 through 9. Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. And here the Bible says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man, that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crowneth him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Father, thank you so much for the reading of your scripture this morning. I'm praying now, God, that you help us as we preach Lord, that you'll preach through us and for us, and God, open our hearts to do a mighty work this morning for us these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, with the help of the Lord this morning, I want us to look at these verses with that thought in mind about seeing Jesus, that we see Jesus. Uh, the Hebrew writer, who most believe, including myself, is the Apostle Paul, um, is pinned down these words, and he's trying to prove something to these Jewish, this Jewish listening audience. The book of Hebrews was written to who? Hebrews. Hebrews being who we later call Jews, referred to as Jews. Um, he's writing this, really, uh, chapter 2 is a continuation of chapter 1. And so for us to keep this in proper context, I do want you to turn back to chapter 1. And we're going to read it, and uh, it's not too long. And so that we have in our minds exactly what he's trying to say to these Hebrew listeners. Look at there at uh, Hebrews 1, uh, verse 1. It says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, that's, that's important to understand that God spoke through the prophets. Remember, all those prophets of the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and uh, Ezekiel, all those that's mentioned there in the, in the Bible, uh, God spoke through them. It spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Uh, verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Now that's important, these last days. These are the days, uh, even though Paul was in those last days, we too are still in the last days. Uh, the last days have been coming for the last 2,000 some odd years, ever since Christ was crucified, uh, buried, and risen from the dead. It says by his son, that son being Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's so many important things in those just few verses. We find that God sent his only son. It talks about here in his son. He appointed him heir of all things. He's the one who made the worlds. Uh, he is the express image of God. Therefore, he is God himself. And he purged our sins and then went and sat on the right hand of the Father. So that means that he has the power. The right hand is the power of God. Verse 4. Being made so much better. This is important. Much better than the angels. As he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. You see, uh, he's trying to, to express to them, Jesus is much greater than angels. And God at no time called one of the angels his son. That's what he's trying to prove here. Because these Hebrew listeners are so ingrained in angel worship and the importance of angels. Uh, it was always, uh, they talked about it. They placed them on very high regards. And so the Hebrew writers trying to get into their heads, listen, Jesus is much, much greater than these angels that you're so attached to. Verse 6, and again, when he bringeth in the uh, first begotten unto the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. See, the angels are going to worship him. And the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same. And thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And so there we see the context that the Hebrew writer is giving. He's expressing how much more important Jesus is than any angel. And the angels are only ministering spirits. They're here to serve him. They're here to worship him. Not the other way around. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, those first four verses is kind of an invitation. And then it gets to verse 5 where we read from this morning. And he continues on his conversation or his, his uh, theology and doctrine concerning Jesus and angels. So there it says in verse 5, For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak? So he says here that God at no time has ever made angels rule over the world uh, or the world to come. The world to come is probably referring to the millennial kingdom because that's the one that they were so uh, looking forward to is the millennial kingdom. When Christ would come, reign and rule along with man, those that are saved, on the face of the earth, on the, on the throne of his father David, that Jesus would come and rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, God said in the Old Testament that a man would rule over the world, and that, and that was God's original design. When he created, in the Garden of Eden, he created Adam and Eve. He made them rulers over everything at the time. They were the only humans on earth. 
But because of sin that Adam, Adam partook of the sin. I know Eve did too, but it was Adam, the man, the one that uh, sin has fell to, is bringing sin into this world. Uh, he, he freely took of sin. He knew what he was doing. And so he partook of that fruit, which, by the way, the Bible never says is an apple. I was watching a show, just it was a Christmas show, and it's supposed to be kind of a religious one, and, and they was referring to the, to the fruit in the garden as an apple. And nowhere in the Bible does it say it's an apple. I don't believe it's fruit that we even know what it is. I don't think we'll know until we get to heaven. But regardless, that's another message. But God has always ordained this, that he would have a man that would rule and reign. And uh, don't forget that he has authority over everything, everybody, the, the earth, he created it. And so if anything happens on earth, he allows it. He may not say this is going to happen or something like that. But if it happens, he allows it to happen. So he is sovereign. Everything goes through him. And don't forget, Satan also is an angel, was an angel, uh, a fallen one, of course. And he still has power in this world. The Bible tells us that. He's the prince and power of the air. Don't make no mistake about it. Verse 6 of our text in Hebrews chapter 2, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the Son of Man that thou visited him. Now, this is referring, to, of course, to Scripture back in the Psalms, Psalm uh, 8, 4 through 6. And the Bible says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man that thou visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with the glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Now, don't get confused when it says you've made him lower, a little lower than the angels. That don't mean he had less authority. All that means is when God sent his son here, that, that he put him lower into human form. That was a little lower than angels. And uh, he put him into human form so that he could be here with man. And uh, it says he's put all things under his feet. Uh, so the Hebrew writer consistently uses the Old Testament text to back up what he's saying because that would be needful for him. Uh, today, so many people don't know the Bible, it wouldn't matter if you referred back to the Old Testament, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. Uh, we just have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to men's hearts and souls today. Uh, but uh, in that day, uh, the, Psalm, or, uh, the apostle here, he's having to prove to them from the Old Testament scripture they knew uh, was, was what he was talking about. So Jesus has clearly fulfilled all prophecy, all scripture concerning being the, the promised Messiah that would come. Verse 7, this is a continuation of that uh, uh, of Psalm, but verse 7 of Hebrews 2. Thou madest them a little lower than the angels, thou crowned him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. And so it says, when thou madest him a little lower than angels, of course he's meaning the short amount of time that Christ lived here as a man, 33, approximately a third years, and he made his rank lower than the angels at the time. All right, look at verse 9. This is our, our key text and where we get our theme from. But we see Jesus. Now, that word but, of course, is put in there meaning besides what I just said, but uh, on the other hand, on the other hand, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, 
crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So here the, the writer tells us why he was made a little lower than the angels, because he had to suffer death. And uh, then he'd be crowned with glory and honor. And uh, by the grace of God, he tasted death for every man. And that includes women. That term man is a universal term here, and it means all of mankind, humankind. Uh, so, for the first time in the book of Hebrews, the name Jesus is actually mentioned. It'll be mentioned 13 more times throughout this book, uh, but this is the first time. And no doubt, this was the first time many of these Hebrew listeners had heard this name Jesus. Now, some of them had. They were, many of them, saved. Uh, but, uh, since the crucifixion of Jesus had taken place, there probably a lot of these had not heard about it. Uh, or the name Jesus. Some of them believed on him. Others didn't believe. They were still looking for another, someone to come. And so this Hebrew writer is stressing to them that that one is Jesus. He's already came. It's him. And God crowned him with glory and honor. And so he's trying to get them to open their spiritual eyes, not their carnal ones. You see, that's the problem with man. Even today, our problem is we look at everything through carnal eyes. You know, what we can see, feel, touch, smell, all that stuff. Well, the things of God are spiritual matters, the deep things of God. They have to be discerned through the Spirit. And so we must look at things through spiritual eyes and not carnal eyes. And uh, that's that's a problem we have. Uh, a while back, I was looking at some pictures I'd taken a few years ago, and uh one of them was an old fence post that was wrapped in barbed wire, and you could see behind the fence post was an old gray weathered barn. And when I looked at that picture, what it does for me is it takes my mind back to a time when I was growing up here in, in East Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I, I ran through the fields and, and, and cow pastures and everything barefooted and, you know, just living it up. I lived, we lived in the country. We, uh, we had a good life. And so when I see a, a piece of barbed wire wrapped around a, a post, it takes me back to a place I love, a place I remember and, and cherish. And I can think of all the good times of crossing those barbed wire fences because that was like a new world unto me. Because you cross a barbed wire fence, you're on, onto another place. You've got, you're going to have places like have cows or horses or goats or whatever we had back then. We had all those things and, and hogs. I didn't cross over in the hog trough, though. Uh, but we would, uh, once you cross that fence, it was like you were exploring new worlds. Uh, me and my friend Kevin, we would go out to places of people's land. And back then, you could do that. You could take off walking. Didn't have to worry about getting kidnapped or anything like that. And so we would go try to find new places, and we would cross anybody's fence. It didn't matter if it had a sign on it that said, don't come over here. You know, posted no trespassing. That was just an invitation to us to say, hey, there's something good over here. So we would cross over into those places. I remember going over to Babley's uh, Field, and they had a, a dairy back in there, and they had a big old uh, farm, and we would get in their, their barn and play, you know, get in the hay. And uh, Doc Simmons Pond, we crossed over his fence, and he shot at us. But, you know, uh, those were good times, and I remember them. But that picture of that post with barbed wire on it, and that old barn takes me there because it, it's almost a spiritual thing for me. Uh, but it, it takes me to a place that I love. But I got to thinking about that. Somebody that had never grown up around a barbed wire fence, they don't have a clue about that. They may look at that and say, man, that looks dangerous. 
Or, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. They may look at it as something trying to keep them out. While it was an invitation for me to come in, uh, for a lot of these people that never grown up like that, they wouldn't understand that. Well, that's to keep out. Don't go over that. That's what they put across prison walls, you know. I don't want anything to do with it. So someone like me or, or, or you all that's been raised up, you know, going to church, singing hymns, uh, uh, doing the things of the Lord, having homecomings, you know, celebrating Easter, and, and all these things that we do as Christians, people that are non-Christian, that did not grow up the way we did, they may look at these things with their carnal eyes and they say, I don't know about any of that stuff. I don't want anything to do with that. That looks crazy to me. And so we have to remember that not everybody grew up like we did. And that's one thing that's difficult for me as a pastor is remembering that. Because I'll look at somebody and and think, well, they should know that. You know, I grew up knowing that. By five years old, I already knew that. And here's grown adults that never been in church. They don't know what in the world I'm talking about. You tell them about the things of God and they're sitting there, you know, what in the world? It's some kind of crazy thing. You know, it's like uh, getting a Harry Potter book and reading it. And I don't know what in the world all that stuff is. <laughs> but uh, to them, the Bible would be the same way. But we see Jesus. We see Jesus. When we see the Bible, when we hear a, a hymn being sang, when we see hear a church bell ringing or a church building, immediately, what do we do? We see Jesus. Now, the lost sinners of the world don't see that. What they see is something strange, something forbidden for them, something that they don't want anything to do with. And so we must look at the things of, of God through spiritual eyes. Look at verse 9 again in our opening text. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so this Hebrew writer, obviously he could see things that a lot of his listeners could not see or would not see because they wouldn't open their eyes. They wouldn't open their spiritual eyes. They wanted to keep their carnal thoughts in mind. They want to worship those angels and think about all those things, and they just couldn't see Jesus being above all that. So we need to remember that. It's through spiritual eyes. Um, speaking of that, I'm going to read you this story. I've read it before a few years ago, but every time I see it, it, uh, it reminds me of, uh, of how we see things. And I told Mary I'm not making resolutions this year, but I am working on trying to have a positive attitude toward things this year instead of every time you see something trying to find the bad or the negative. You know, that's what the world's become nowadays. All you got to do is go on Facebook and, and see that. Somebody could post something that's, you know, wonderful and people start dogging it to death. And I mean, they just find every flaw and everything and what they should have done. You should have done this and that. I wouldn't have ever done. And that's what the world's become is negative. And so my outlook on life this year, I'm trying to see things more positive. Things I have normally not liked or enjoyed, I'm trying to find something good in. And so I was seeing the mayor of Knoxville last night, not the Knox County mayor, not him, but that woman, India, I don't remember her last name, Cannon or something. She is a liberal. She's for all the things we're against. And there was a commercial on last night where she was saying, this is my Knoxville and your Knoxville or something. My mind first wanted to say, this is not your Knoxville. You're not from here. You don't understand our ways. And then I got to thinking that I'm always thinking negative anytime I see her, hear her name mentioned or anything about her. 
Could I try to think of something positive? And I thought, well, at least she's excited about what she's doing. Um, she, you know, was had a big smile on her face, and you know, that's about all I could come up with at the time. But I was trying to be more positive about it. But listen to this story. This is called the window. Two men, both seriously ill, occupied the same hospital room. One man was allowed to sit up in his bed for an hour each afternoon to help drain the fluid from his lungs. His bed was next to the room's only window. The other man had to spend all his time flat on his back. The men talked for hours on end. They spoke of their wives and families, their homes, their jobs, their involvement in the military service where, they had, uh, where they'd been on vacation. And every afternoon when the man in the bed by the window could sit up, he would pass the time by describing to his roommate all the things he could see outside the window. The man in the other bed began to live for those one-hour periods where his world would be broadened and enlivened by all the activity and color of the world outside. The, outside. the window overlooked a park with a lovely lake. Ducks and swans played on the water while children sailed their model boats. Young lovers walked arm in arm amidst flowers of every color of the rainbow. Grand old trees graced the landscape and a fine view of the city skyline could be seen in the distance. As the man by the window described all this in exquisite detail, the man on the other side of the room would close his eyes and imagine this picturesque scene. One warm afternoon, the man by the window described a parade passing by. Although the other man couldn't hear the band, he could see it in his mind's eye as the gentleman by the window portrayed it with descriptive words. Days and weeks passed. One morning, the day nurse arrived to bring water for their baths only to find the lifeless body of the man by the window who had died peacefully in his sleep. She was saddened and called the hospital attendants to take the body away. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved next to the window. The nurse was happy to make the switch, and after making sure he was comfortable, she left him alone. Slowly, painfully, he propped himself up on, the, on one elbow to take his first look at the world outside, Finally, he would have the joy of seeing it for himself. He strained slowly, turned to look out the window beside the bed. It faced a blank wall. The man asked the nurse what could have compelled his deceased roommate, who had described such wonderful things outside the window. The nurse responded that the man was blind and could not even see the wall. She said, perhaps he just wanted to encourage you. So the Hebrew writer here, he is—he sees something that the others don't. And he's trying to describe to them all these things, this glory, this honor, this crown, the death that Jesus suffered for their sins. You know, a lot of times we sing things about God and we sing all those hymns this morning. We sing it's just beautiful songs. And, uh, you know, we sing the old rugged cross and amazing grace and all those things like that. Do we ever stop and really think about what we're singing? Or is it just a, uh, you know, a song we love or we've always known and, and we like to sing it? You know, what Jesus did for us was much greater than we can even capture in a song. And while there's a lot of good hymns, there's no way they can do justice for what Jesus did for us. Uh, too many times we become immune to the horror that Jesus went through when he suffered and died for us. 
the terrible beating of an innocent man, the betrayal by friends, uh, so many things that he endured for us, and we don't seem to think about it. Um, you know, we celebrate Easter and everything's now turned into bunny rabbits and, and chocolate drops and all that stuff. But uh, celebrating Easter when Christ arose after all those horrible things that he endured for us. Have you given in consideration lately exactly what he did? Or has he become a status symbol? A lot of people use Jesus as a as a t-shirt, as a uh, something to wear around their neck, a, a slogan, a picture to hang over the dining room table. Do we see Jesus for who he really is? Have, or have we lost sight of his suffering? Let me read you Isaiah 53 just to remind you. The Bible says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem we yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he, was made, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of, of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spool with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Do we see Jesus for who he truly is and what he did for us? Are we looking at it with spiritual eyes or carnal eyes? How dare the atheists of this world deny that there is a God, when the very God of heaven sent his only begotten Son here to die for the atheists? How dare the sodomites flaunt their sexual immorality for all the world to see when Christ was sent here. The Lord Jesus shed every drop of his blood to save the sodomite. How dare a man or a woman use the Lord God's name in vain as they curse the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who freely gave his life for us. How dare we close our eyes to what he did for us. But we 
see Jesus. We need to see Jesus in everything we do, everything we read, everywhere we go, everything we hear, everything we speak. We should see Jesus every day, every hour, every minute, every second of our lives because he tasted death for us. For every man, the Bible says, that bitter cup, that bitter cup that we often read about that he took of us, that bitter cup is the poison that sin brought that he took and drank for us. In Matthew 26 and 39, Jesus in the garden of, in agony, he falls upon his face and he's praying to the Father and he says this, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus freely and willingly drank that cup of death for us. He tasted death of every sinner on the face of this earth from the beginning of time all the way through eternity. Jesus did that. He drank your bitter cup so you didn't have to. Can you imagine the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who had never committed a single sin, never a crime, never anything, no harm to anyone, yet he's willing to lay down his life for us. But we see Jesus. Do you see him today? you see Jesus in your life? I want us to pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Lord, I'm praying for those today that don't see you. God, those that reject who you are. Lord, I'm praying today you convict their heart and show them exactly what you've done for them. And God, what their consequences will be, Lord, for not accepting you as their Savior. Lord, we know that you tasted death for every man. Nobody has to die and go to hell. It's their choice. God, I'm praying for those today that, that's taking it lightly. And God, I'm praying for Christians today that have stopped seeing you, Lord, in their life. They're allowing the world into their life so much, God, that you've become just a, a passing thing. God, I pray that we see Jesus in all that we do, in all of our lives. Help us, Father. We want to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all, for you deserve it. It's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Don't forget, our theme for this year is, but we see Jesus. The world may not see him. The world may reject him. The world may curse his name. But we see Jesus. All, right. all hearts and minds clear this morning. And fear the Lord, we're separated.